Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for letting me be here today. Uh, I, Rob already said my name is Steve and my family is here. Barb, Brandon, who has been a product of Rob's ministry because for a while we were at uh, Faith Covenant and Rob was there as a youth person. Does this thing go up? I'm sorry, it'll be fine like this. Um, and he was a youth pastor there, and Brandon was uh, in part of his youth group, so thank you for doing that, Rob. No, it's fine. Um, <clears throat> I, I was uh, heard you were in this series called The Marks of a Christ Follower. And, I, and actually, I was at one of the uh, messages with you when you had all the tables in here and when we packed up the boxes. I had heard that you were doing that, and I thought, well, that would be cool. I want to see how that works. So we came down with our family, and we were there. I was looking at some of those Marks of a Christ Follower that you had been through for the last little while, and I thought, man, those seem hard to do. I mean, what if you don't feel like you measure up? I mean, what if like those are way up there and you just don't feel like you can do it? Well, that's when you need to bring in an expert. And so I'm the expert that was brought in because I am the expert at screwing things up. I understand that thing very well. I've studied it and I've done it myself. So I'm here today to talk to you. As you look at that and you view it and you think, well, what if I mess up? I'm here to talk to you about how to be a successful failure. Because my guess is you won't get right up to there immediately. It'll be a series of ups and downs. That's how our lives work. So I want to talk to you about how to be a successful failure. I'm an expert because I've studied this subject. Let me tell you about some great failures that I have learned of, and you probably know some of your own. There was a guy named Sam Phillips, and he had a recording studio. And it was not doing very well, so he sold that recording studio to RCA for $35,000. In addition to that, it, it, the studio came with all the contracts that he had for all the musicians. One of them was a lesser-known musician called Elvis Presley, and he sold his contract along with that for $35,000. Another one you probably have heard of is Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. They created a little uh, uh, comic book character. His name was Superman, and nobody was reading it, and so they sold the rights to Superman for $130. That's $65 each. Superman has gone on to produce over a billion dollars in income, and they sold that. Here's another one. Decca Records was doing tryouts for groups. They wanted to sign a new group, so there was a group there. And here's what they said of the groups. Guitar groups are on their way out. This group played guitars. And then they said this, the Beatles have no future in show business. They passed on signing the Beatles. Instead, that same day, they signed a group called the Tremolos. Let's all sing together our favorite tremolo song. Are you ready? Do it. One, two, three, go. Oh, wait, I forgot. There are none. So they made a mistake. Even in this religious thing, there are mistakes that get made. There was an early edition of the Bible. Uh, it was a King James edition. It got to be known as the Wicked Bible because it was a really good translation except for one thing. In the seventh commandment, they forgot to put the word not. So in that Bible, it says, thou shalt commit adultery. And it was a very popular uh, you know, version, but it was incorrect. Now look, 
I don't just have to do research to tell you about making mistakes. I've done this firsthand. I, I, I've, I've been this talker guy from time to time, but one of the first times that I got the opportunity to preach, I mean, Rob felt bad that he forgot the microphone. I had the microphone. I just left my brain somewhere else, okay? So it's much better to have, the mic, to have your brain and not the microphone. I was going to, one of the first times I preached in a little town, they hired me to be their pastor. I was going to preach about this guy named Naaman, and it's in 2 Kings 5.1, and I think we have that just so that I can show you uh, the verse there. Here's what it says. This was, I'm going to tell you what my sermon was going to be. It's not the sermon I'm doing now. Now, Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Here's what I decided to do. Being new at this preaching thing, I knew that the good preachers like Billy Graham, they, they focus on one word. And they try to use that word and drive a point home. And the point I wanted to make was that Naaman had all of these things going for him. Valiant soldier, mighty warrior. God had used him, but he had something holding him back, and it was leprosy. And I decided to key off the word but. And so I got up and I read this verse and I said, and then Naaman had a big but didn't he? He had a but. And people didn't seem to understand what I was saying, so I just decided to sort of go off the script a little bit. And I thought, well, if they're not getting it, I'm going to have to drive this point home a little bit further. And I said, isn't that how it is for all of us? We all have things that work in our lives, but then we all have these buts. Some of us have big buts. Some of us have little buts. But we all have buts. And I had no idea what I was doing, and neither did the the people that were listening. So I needed to drive the point home even further. And this was a very formal kind of church. And the pastors sat in chairs up on the stage, and there were several pastors. You know, they looked like sort of king and queen chairs, and they were up there. And I said, "You, you look at the staff here. Well, they have buts. Every single one. You may think they've got, no, no, they have buts. And I went through the entire sermon just driving that point home. I'm not sure how I ended the service, but it was probably something like, close your eyes, bow your heads, pray with me. Before I pray, how many? How many here have butts? Raise your hand. If you have a butt, raise your hand. Everybody's hand went up and I thought, wow, I'm doing really good. So, uh, you know, I drove it even further home. We're going to close the service and this was a church where people would come forward to pray. You come now. You lay your butt on the altar right now, right here. And I'll pray for you. I went through the whole sermon. I had no idea that I was doing that. And uh, it got done. And I thought, wow, I I did pretty good. The pastor came up to me afterward. He goes, hey, Steve, that was a good sermon. I thought, yeah, you you probably could learn a few things, you know, from us young guys. And he goes, I'm glad I learned I have a butt. And then I went, oh, my gosh, you know, and I never wanted to talk again in public. So those, that, that's my pedigree. So sometimes it's difficult for me as I look at some of the marks of a Christ follower and the way that we hold those up and some of the great men and women in the Bible, I think, I don't know if I can relate to that. So I want to introduce you to a person in the Bible that very few people know about, but he has guided me and he is the poster child for how to be a successful failure. And I'd like to introduce him to you. His name is John Mark. 
And he, we first find him in Acts 12, 25. And um, we can pop that up on the screen. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. <clears throat> John has two names. John is his Jewish name, and it means God is gracious. And Mark is his Roman name, and it means I don't know, Mark. It doesn't really have a meaning. But sometimes he's called John. Sometimes he's called Mark. Sometimes he's called John Mark. And he is going with Paul and Barnabas on these mission trips. The second time we are introduced to him is Acts 13, 13. And it says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Pergia and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now let me just tell you a little bit what's happening here. Um... John didn't just leave them to return to Jerusalem. He deserted them, and you're going to find that out in a minute. Paul and Barnabas were a missionary team, and they were going around starting churches like this, planting churches, sharing the gospel, and John Mark came along as one of the helpers. They got to a place where they were going to go through the Tarsus Mountains, and it was a difficult journey, not just physically, because you couldn't just get in your four-wheel drive and cruise up through the mountains. It was demanding, but it was also dangerous. In the mountains, especially the Tarsus Mountains, where there would be robbers, and it was possible that you could be beaten, robbed, possibly even killed. For various reasons that we don't know, John Mark decided the trip is too hard. I'm going to go and I'm going to quit this. You think, well, Steve, how do you get that from here? Ah, you'll see because here's where the story gets interesting. Acts 15, 36. Look at that with me. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and let's visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and let's see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed, and he wanted to take along John Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in their work. It goes on. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas, and he left commended by the believers, and he went and strengthened churches some other places. So do you see what's happening here? I don't know how much Bible knowledge you have, but you know Paul is kind of a big deal in the Bible, right? I mean, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Most of what we do in churches today are because of that Paul guy. And Paul says... I don't want to work with John Mark. That guy is a loser. He, he, he bailed out on us just when we needed him in our mission trip, and I don't want to work with that guy. And Barnabas says, well, you know, I think we should give him another chance. Let's bring him along. He was helpful. And Paul says, no, if that's how you feel, and the Bible says they had a sharp disagreement. If that's how you feel, I'm going my way. You go your way. You take John Mark. I don't want anything to do with him. Now there's a guy I might be able to relate to. Well, let me ask you this. How do you think John Mark would have felt right then? Here's a young guy sort of wanting to be involved in church work and ministry, and Paul says, I don't want to work with you. Well, I think, you know, Paul probably knows. He knows what it takes to be a minister, to, be, to serve God, to have all these marks of a Christ follower. He would know he wrote them all up. And if he thinks I don't have it, maybe I don't have it. So I think if anyone had reason to quit, 
It was John Mark. Now, that's the kind of person that sometimes I think we should relate to. Because how many times has it happened for us? We've maybe heard a sermon series like the Marks of, of Christ Follower, and we say, yes, I'm going to do that. One of the kindness, yes, kindness was one of the marks, and it lasts, I don't know, barely you get out of the door at church, you know, and then you have an argument about where you're going to go eat after church, and, and the kindness goes right out the window, and you, you said, but I really was going to do it. We have big plans. You know what? I'm really going to get into the Bible now. I'm going to get into one of those life groups. I'm going to read through the book of John. Weren't you encouraged to read through the book of John? And you made it to chapter 4. And then you stopped reading. And you think, oh, I don't know. I guess I just can't do it. Maybe you were at a service like this, and God spoke to you about something. You said, it's really going to be different. It really is. I'm really going to do it this time. And you planned on it. But you fell flat on your face, just like John Mark. Now, I've spoken enough in different churches to know this. People like short sermons. But guess what? Aren't you glad that I'm not done? Wouldn't that be a depressing... Thank you, then. So here, I'm glad that I've introduced you to my friend John Mark. He was a failure. You're all failures. I'm a failure. Let's close in prayer. The band will come up. No, there's more to this story, and you should be glad. Some of you are old enough. Most of you aren't. Oh, I miss Paul Harvey. Remember Paul Harvey? He did this thing called the rest of the story. And he'd come, and he'd tell you about this story, and then he'd take a commercial, and you could never tell it was a commercial. That was, was so great about Paul Harvey. And then he'd come back and say, and now the rest of the story. And you'd find out how all the pieces fit together. Well, there's a rest of the story for John Mark. The Bible doesn't give us every little detail, but it gives us enough hints that we got to figure out what's going on. Let me share some of the rest of the story with you. Because John Mark is mentioned three other times in the Bible, and each time he's mentioned by that Paul guy that didn't want anything to do with him. And the first time is 2 Timothy 4.9, and here's what it says. Paul is writing to Timothy, his, his sort of son in the faith, and he says, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life, and he, he's gone off to his own place in chapter 11. Only Luke is with me. And then he says this, bring Mark with you when you come, for he's helpful to me in my ministry. That's the same guy that Paul said, I don't want to work with him. And now he says to Timothy, bring him with you. I need him in my life. He's helpful to me. Something happened. Something changed in Paul's mind. The next time that he is mentioned is in the book of Colossians, which I believe is where you were just going through. And Paul is writing again. And here's what he says. Aristarchus, who is in prison, sends you his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas' cousin. As you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Let me tell you what's happening here. We don't know. We know from church history. We don't know how it happened, but John Mark has gotten back on his feet and he's back in the ministry, and he is a traveling speaker evangelist guy, and he's going to this church. And he's going to show up there, and you know what the people are thinking? Why go hear him? You know, I mean, this is the guy that that broke up, 
you know, Paul and Barnabas. I mean, it's like Yoko Ono, you know, breaking up the Beatles. They're like, no, this is the guy that broke up the greatest missionary team. Why would I want to go hear him? And Paul is saying, when he comes, you ought to go listen to him. Because I was wrong about him. So what are you saying? In Philemon chapter 24, Paul refers to John Mark as a fellow worker. Once he labels him a quitter, a loser, a failure, now he calls him a fellow worker. And that's not all. We know from church history that John Mark went out and you know what he became? Rob. He was a church planter. He decided that he wanted to start a church and he started churches and he became a church planter just doing this kind of exact thing. And we also know something else. He was a blogger. He liked to write and he started writing down his thoughts and his blog became very popular and people said, oh, we want to, we want to buy the book. And so he published a book and he was a really good writer, but he was terrible with titles. So you know what he called his book? Mark. If you look in the Bible, it's in there. Mark, the first gospel, uh, it's, uh, it's not the first one in order, but it's the first one that was ever written. The first time that Jesus' life was recorded was written by John Mark. It is impossible to overestimate the importance of that book in the Bible. Today, when the Bible is translated into new languages, often the first book that's translated is the book of Mark because it is the shortest, most concise uh, version of Jesus' life, and Mark wrote that. Now, let me tell you what I learned from this guy, this John Mark. I have four quick points. These are not long Rob kind of points, okay? So stick with me. They're going to be short and they're going to be simple. And I think that they will impact your life. So here's what I learned. I think they'll be popping up on the screen. First thing I learned from John Mark is this. Jesus gives us a second chance and a third and a fourth. And how many do you need? You see, Jesus is in the forgiving business. And sometimes those failures and those mistakes have the S word attached to it. They're sin. We have disobeyed God and he is in the business of forgiving sins. Not just once when you come to him for, to be your Lord and Savior, but all the time. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If you read that book of John and you read who it was written to, it was not written to dirty sinners who don't know any better. It was written to Christians because we need to constantly be coming to God for forgiveness. I've learned that the sign of a strong Christian isn't only how pure or holy of a life that person lives. That's not the only thing. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how you find out who's, who a strong Christian is. It's somebody who quickly recognizes failure and sin in their life and then deals with it. Jesus wants to give you a second chance and a third and a fourth. Let me tell you something. I don't know where I heard this, but it, it impacted me. Uh, 
Jesus never started loving you. There wasn't like a time where you came to him and then he said, oh, I'm going to start loving you. He has always loved you from the beginning of time. It doesn't change based on what we do or what we don't do. His love is consistent. And the quicker that you recognize that and lean on that, the more you'll become what he wants you to be. You're going to need that forgiveness, so take advantage of it. Take it to the bank. Second thing I learned. See, I told you these were short. Don't concentrate on your failures. The C.S. Lewis, who some of you have heard of, who I, I wish that he could be around to see how all these science fiction themes are made into the most popular movies now. And the one they should do is a book he wrote called The Screwtape Letters. And that book is a fantasy about demons and what the demons do to mess up Christians' lives. And so there are these head demons trying to train the, 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 the little demons. And here's what he says in the book. Satan gets Christians to become preoccupied with their failures. From then on, the battle is won. Let me tell you something. There is an enemy of our soul. I, I think it was interesting. I was talking to somebody who was not a believer. And I was trying to convince them of the existence of God, and I was having a difficult time, and I said something about Satan. And he said, oh, well, I have no problem believing in Satan. I see that all the time. I see evil. It's the good that I have a hard time believing in. There is an enemy. And what he wants to do is get you to become preoccupied with your mistakes. Keep rubbing your face in the dirt with that. Keep bringing that failure up, that thing that you're dealing with up over and over and make you feel low and small like you can't do anything. Because if he does that, the battle's won. You'll never have the marks of a follower of Christ. So Paul writes, in the book of Philippians chapter 3. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not yet achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. We can't let our past mistakes and our failures keep us down. We've got to pick up. We've got to go on. Now, I thought I'd learned this pretty well in my life, but I'm constantly learning it. I was uh, very much like Rob, a church planter. And we started this church in Apple Valley, and uh, Barb and I moved here from Seattle not knowing anyone, and we started the church, and it, it got to be about like this church here. And then I got burned out, and I, I couldn't do it anymore. And I kind of failed and I quit. And some things started to go wrong in the church. And man, as much as I wanted to think it couldn't be my fault, some of those things were my fault. And uh, man, I wanted to be like done with organized religion. I was fine with God, I, but I, you know, a church planter, we like disorganized religion, you know? So I was okay with disorganized religion, but I wanted to be done with it. But I realized that if I just continued to live in the failure, I had nothing to give to the future. And like, there's like a whole bunch in front of me. And so I heard my friend John Mark's voice again calling me. 
said, no, no, don't live back there, okay? Learn from it. Pick yourself up and move on. You got to focus on the future, not on the failure. And you're able to do that because Jesus forgives us. Third thing I've learned is this, and you're going to love this point because I think it's going to relate to you so well. Put it up on the screen. God uses losers. Do you ever feel unworthy or untalented or not wise or too weak? Well, guess what? You're just the kind of person God wants to use. Look at one of my favorite verses in 1 Corinthians 1.26. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things of the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Man, none of us are capable. None of us are worthy. God makes us capable. God makes us worthy. I was so excited that Rob asked me to come and talk to you. And you know one of the things that made me excited? Because you're Restoration Church. I, I know Rob well enough to know that he didn't pick that name because he thought, well, that's a cool-sounding hip name. He really thought about that. And some of you thought about that because you realize we want to be a place where people can be restored. John Mark, he's the poster child for Restoration Church. And if something needs to be restored, then that must mean that it got old, or it got broken, or it needs to be fixed. And let me tell you something I've learned about church planting. All the cool together people don't come to a new church plant. Some of you say, oh yes, I know, I'm sitting next to one. No, I mean, listen, I've learned that I thought I would do the church plant and like all, you know, self-actualized great people would show up. No, messed up people showed up. People that, you know, the other churches that didn't want them, they came here. That is what happens in a church plant and that's great. It's what's supposed to happen. And that's why I love Restoration Church. And if you're just gonna try to be like another church, Well, pack it up. Who cares? But if you could be a place where people could actually come and get restored and get their their sins taken care of and be able to be healed, that'd be cool. And God isn't going to do it with the cool people. He's going to do it with the losers. So, welcome to Restoration Church. (laughs) Last thing. I've learned this. God's will for you is not lost because you fail. Our past mistakes don't limit God's power. Now, the past might not change. There are sometimes consequences, but our response to it can change. Mark was not left in the dirt. There, God, look at that. See what you did? Smell that. Okay, there, there. No, no, that's not what God is like. God sent Barnabas, his cousin, into his life, and he restored him, and he put him back in the ministry. In fact, 
I wonder if Mark would have accomplished some of the things that he accomplished in his life if he wouldn't have had that mistake. You see, we can grow from our mistakes. We can learn from them. We can go deeper in our relationship with God. Let me tell you how I learned this many years ago. There are other instances of how I'm learning it, but they'd be too painful to share. This one's not that painful because it's been a while. It Christmas is coming, and when Christmas, I'm, right now, I'm old, okay? I mean, I get the senior discount at the Goodwill, okay, on Wednesday, so I got that going for me. But when, even, even though I'm old, when Christmas comes behind these eyes, I'm 11, okay? I like toys, I like, you know, cool things. And, and a few years ago, more than a few years ago, when I was a youth pastor in a town called Kalispell, Montana, what I wanted, are you from Kalispell? Your mom used to live there? I, I, this was when computers were sort of new. And I knew early on that computers had one particular important purpose in life. And that's to play games on them. So th- this, this was back when there was a particular computer and I wanted a particular game for it. And it was a cartridge format and it went in your computer. And I wanted that for Christmas. And this small town of Kalispell, there aren't that many computer stores. So there was one particular store that had this particular game and Barb bought it for me and wrapped it up. And I couldn't wait till Christmas morning. So I opened it on Christmas Eve and I was going to put it in my computer and spend the entire weekend killing zombies or something and it didn't work. And I was so, my Christmas was ruined. I was so disappointed because it wasn't about family and love. It was about having that game and being able to kill those aliens. And so I, I, I somehow consoled myself and I said, well, you know, I probably would have got bored with it anyway. So I'm going to take it back to the store, get my money back and I'll buy something else. And um, so I went back after Christmas into the computer store and I said, to, and it was an, in, you know, like a, an independent store because it was Kalispell. It was a small store. I said, hey, I got this game. It doesn't work. She put it in. A, oh, yes, it doesn't work. And I said, I'd like to get my money back. And she said, well, you know, our store policy is not to give refunds, but it's only to give store credit. So I can't give you your money back. I can only give you a store credit. And I, I said, well, I don't know. I don't really like that idea because they, they were sort of phasing out the kind of computer I had and they were phasing something else in. And I looked around and there was nothing there that I wanted. And so I said to the lady, you know, that I, there's nothing else here I want. I, I guess I really just want my money back. And she said, well, no, let me, let me state this again for you. We only give a store credit. We don't give refund. And I said, well, let me explain something to you. My policy is only to get my money back and never to get a store refund. And she said, well, I, and, I, and Barb was there with me because she bought the game. And I, I'm telling you, I just flew off the handle. I went berserk on her. And I said, I can't believe what kind of place this is. I, this is un-, and I threw the game down on the, on the counter there. And I said, fine, just keep it. I don't even want it. And I went out in the car, and I was so mad. I felt at the time it was righteous indignation. How can they do this to people, especially during Christmas? How can they do this? And I got in the car, and um, Barb was there with me. And, and I'm thankful that God has given me Barb, who can be directed by the Holy Spirit to, to gently point things out to me when I may have overreacted. And so we were sitting there, and I said, can you believe that? I, you know, I can't believe that lady. She was so wrong. And Barb said, she looked at me and the Holy Spirit used her. And she said, you are a jerk. I cannot believe that you did that. 
I mean, you publicly embarrassed yourself there. And I thought, mm, okay, maybe you're right. And then I started to realize, now, you, you know, because you've been a Kalispell, small town. Not only was it a small town, and she may have known me, but we were the largest church in town. And every, you know, I don't know why we thought like putting our picture in the paper would make people come to our church. But every week, I was there as one of the pastors at the Kalispell Christian Center. Ah, man, she might have seen me there. And then somehow I got lucky and I was spoke at the graduation for the high school the last two years in a row. And I spoke on loving your neighbor, I think. I'm pretty sure that's what I spoke on. Maybe she knew me from there, and I thought, wow, I, I made a mistake. I mean, I blew it. My reputation in this community is ruined, and I thought, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I could quit the ministry, go to Lakeville, start a church there where nobody knows you, you know, or, or I could just move, you know, go somewhere else. And then I thought, or I could go back in there, I could tell her I'm sorry, and see if she'll forgive me. And I thought, well, that, that seems to be the best idea. So I said, Barb, you know what? You're right. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to go back in there and we're going to tell her we're sorry. And she said, we're not doing anything. Take me home. You go back in there. So I took Barb home. And then I went back in there. And I said, hey. And I came in. And I mean, they were ready to call out the National Guard, you know, because I had really flown off the handle. And I said, hey, hey, listen, I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have acted that way. I was wrong. You have that policy. Would you please forgive me for reacting that way? I shouldn't have done that. And she said, yeah, I'll forgive you. And then she said, and I'll give you your money back. And I thought, wow, this is working out pretty good. And she was like writing up a slip to give me my money back. And she said, don't I know you from somewhere? I said, no, I don't think so. (laughs) And she said, no, no, I, I, you know, I kind of have that face. I just, you know. I just look like that. She goes, no, wait. You're that guy from the church. Oh, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's probably where. And you do that campus ministry group called Youth Alive where the kids, yeah. She goes, my daughter goes to that group. We did a campus ministry group. It was from all different denominations. And she goes, and you spoke at Baccalaure. Yeah, yeah, that was me. And we started talking about misunderstandings. I found out that she was in that store because she had a misunderstanding as a school teacher and lost her job. And we started to talk about that. Now, I'd like to be able to say, and there, ladies and gentlemen, I led her into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And today she is working for the Billy Graham Association. No, that didn't happen. But I was able to walk around Kalispell with my head held high because she forgave me. And I'd learned from that. And it's been weeks since I've gone nuts in a store because, you know, they didn't take my... No, I've learned from that. And I've gone deeper in my relationship with God. And I'm glad because it taught me something. So here's the thing. I, am I going to ask you if you have failures and mistakes or sin in your life? That would be dumb. You do. I know people. I know where we live. The, the thing is, what are you going to do with it? You could kick yourself, stay down, feel sorry for yourself, beat yourself up, and just live sort of like a half-life. Or you could say, God, forgive me. And with his power, you could go out of here. You could be everything that he wants you to be. 
Let me read you something. It's this last year, remember they had the Dead Sea Scroll things over, I went and saw them. I have this little article that I've been carrying around for over 25 years. It's, oh, look at it, it's fragile. It should be have been in the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, thing. And it's written, most of you wouldn't know who this is. Some of you older people will remember a great theologian. Her name is Irma Bombeck, and she was a newspaper columnist, and she wrote humorous stuff about you know, being a housewife. But sometimes she wrote serious stuff, and I, she passed away a few years ago, and I sure miss her wisdom. Here's what she says. A few years ago, I attended a seminar for young people to which 50 or so of the top people in their profession had been invited. The purpose was to have young people see Pulitzer Prize winners, Nobel Prize winners, Heisman Trophy winners, and astronauts who had the right stuff face to face. As each one spoke, they kept returning not to their successes, but to their failures. It seemed that they had learned from them, gotten stronger from them, and overcame them. And strangely enough, took enormous pride in them. Losing, not winning, had made them whatever they had become. Someone wiser than most people once said, the only people who never fail are those who never try. I want to ask you, with God's help, to try. Somebody said failure is like a knife. It can hurt you or you can help you, depending on if you pick it up by the blade or by the handle. What are you going to do with it? Somebody else said that failure is like fertilizer. It really stinks, but it helps you grow in the future. Let's pray. Lord, we're here today to be in your presence. To come before you with honesty. This is Restoration Church. It didn't get named that accidentally. It's a place for restoring. And I got to believe that there are some friends here this morning that need part of their heart, part of their life restored. And if there's somebody that knows exactly what I'm talking about, they don't even want to bring that thing to you again because it embarrasses them because they messed up. Would you forgive them? Would you help us learn to be your people? And would you do it through your grace and through your love? And if there should be somebody here this morning that hasn't ever opened their life to this grace and to this love, would you give them the courage to reach out to you this morning? Your name we pray. Amen.